the Redemption Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. Everyone to bow your heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for the presence that we have felt here today. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing. I pray that you would tailor this word, make it specific and intimate to every individual under the sound of my voice. Empower, enable, and strengthen me to deliver this word as you have delivered it to me. Lord, I take no ownership or authorship or credit because I know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give the Lord some praise. Today I want to preach for a few minutes from the subject, the price tag of following. Salvation is free, but there's a cost to following Jesus. Salvation is free, but there's a price that has to be paid when you decide to follow Jesus. We are continuing our sermon series entitled Fan or Follower. And throughout this sermon series, we are having a DTR conversation with Jesus. DTR stands for Define the Relationship. We are defining our relationship with Jesus for the purpose of answering the question, are we a fan or are we a follower? What is a fan? Webster defines a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. We know what fans look like in the natural. You go to any stadium in America and you can see 30, 40, 50,000 fans. But what are fans of Jesus? Fans of Jesus are those who cheer when things are going well. They'll celebrate when they drive the new car off the parking lot. They'll celebrate when they close on the new house. They'll celebrate when they land the promotion. Fans will cheer when things are going well, but they'll ultimately walk away when it's a difficult season. They'll walk away when it's a difficult ministry season, a difficult marital season a difficult financial season. Fans will cry Hosanna when they feel real good and crucify him when they're discouraged. Fans of Jesus care more about their comfort than their commitment. Fans of Jesus sit safely in the stands or sanctuary, but they know nothing about the pain, the sacrifice, the loss of the mission of the mission field. Unfortunately, there seems to be more fans of Jesus today than at any other point in the history of the church. There are more fans today, especially in the American church. There are more fans than at any other point in the history of the church. Why is this? Why are there so many fans and so few followers? I think a large portion of the blame falls on the church itself. Churches today have become businesses that measure their success by the number of customers they attract. How do we attract more customers? 
by making the product as appealing as possible. In this case, the product is following Jesus. And churches have attempted to make following Jesus as comfortable as possible. Churches have attempted to attract more customers by making following Jesus seem as easy, as convenient, as effortless as possible. To do this, churches have overemphasized the more appealing aspects of the gospel. Things like freedom, things like miracles, things like prosperity. And they have underemphasized the less appealing aspects of the gospel. Things like denying yourself, things like sacrifice, things like effort, things like commitment, things like faithfulness. Churches have overemphasized the more appealing aspects of the gospel and underemphasized the less appealing aspects of the gospel. Sometimes ministries are wrong not because they didn't not because they said something wrong but because they didn't deliver to you the whole truth. Sometimes it's not so much what they're saying but what they're not saying. Churches have diluted the message to the point that it doesn't have the impact that it should. Robert Courtney was a man convicted of diluting the medication of cancer patients in order to make a profit. Over a period of about nine years, he diluted an estimated 98,000 prescriptions of medication which affected some 4,200 patients. At least 17 cancer patients died after receiving a diluted form of chemotherapy. Robert was sentenced to 30 years in prison. This was a man that had been entrusted with the responsibility of handing out life-saving medication, but for the sake of personal gain, diluted it to the point where it couldn't help people. And unfortunately, the 21st century church has done the exact same thing with the gospel. We have diluted the message to the point that it doesn't have the power to break chains, to destroy yokes, and to tear down strongholds. We have diluted the message to the point that it doesn't have the power to rescue, to deliver, to loose, to set free, and to save. We have diluted the message to the point that it doesn't have the power to help. People. The gospel that is being preached in most churches today produces more fans than followers because it costs you nothing and promises you everything. This is never more obvious than when we compare the typical 21st century church altar call to the way Jesus did altar calls. Altar calls today are usually conducted by a minister who stands in front with a smile on his face, dressed in a nice suit, and attempts to persuade people to come to Jesus based off what Jesus can offer them. Things like joy, peace, contentment, 
healing, fulfillment, abundance. Come to Jesus and he'll bless your finances. Come to Jesus and you'll get that house you've been wanting. Come to Jesus and he'll give you that new car. Come to Jesus and you'll be promoted over and over and over again. Come to Jesus and he'll fix your problems. Come to Jesus and he'll set you free from every issue that you have in your life. One person said, what we win people with is what we win them to. So if we win people to Jesus with promises of happiness, prosperity, and problem-free living, we have created a fan of Jesus who will walk away when those things are not present in their life. That's why there's very few soldiers for Jesus anymore. By soldiers, I mean those who endure hardness, those who don't leave when things don't work out, those who stand their ground, those who can praise when they're broken, those who can worship when it seems like all hell is breaking loose in their life. There are very few soldiers left. And it's because of the way that we win people to Jesus. Now, let's compare that to the way Jesus did altar calls. Are you interested in finding out how Jesus did altar calls? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus stands in front of his audience and says to them all, not just to some of them, not just to the religious elite, not just to the apostle, the, the pastor, the minister, the leader, he says to them all, if any man, will come after me. This is the price right here. If any man wants to be my follower, I'm gonna tell you what it costs. This is what it costs. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice that in Jesus' altar call, there are no promises. There are only price tags. There are no promises of happiness, prosperity, riches, wealth. There's no promise of any of that. There are only price tags. You see, Jesus wanted people to know what it would cost to follow him. He wanted them to know what it would cost before they decided to do it. Jesus wanted people to know what they were getting themselves into and what it would require of them. So what I want to do for the remainder of this message is break down this one verse by making four points about following Jesus so that each and every one of you will know what it costs to follow Jesus. Are you ready? Number one on your worksheet is this. Following Jesus is an open invitation. It's an open invitation. It's not for a certain race of people. It's not for a certain region of people. It's not for those who have unblemished pasts. It's not for those who don't have a record. It's not just for those who haven't made big mistakes. It's not just for those who look good. It's not just for those who seem to be religious. Following Jesus is an open invitation. Jesus begins his call to followers with the words if anyone if anyone any 
Anyone is an all-inclusive word. Anyone means everyone. Anyone can follow Jesus. Anyone, regardless of their background or their history or their reputation or their record, anyone, regardless of their mistakes or their mishaps or their flaws or their struggles or their issues, anyone, regardless of their brokenness or their scars or their wounds, anyone can follow Jesus. Anyone can, but no one has to. Jesus' first word in that verse is if. If implies that it's your choice. After understanding what following Jesus really means, you have to decide whether it's worth it to you. So when I preach this message today, I want you to be asking yourself one question. Is following Jesus worth it to me? Following Jesus is an open invitation. Number two, following Jesus is a passionate pursuit. There's no room for indifference. There's no room for apathy. There's no room for an uncaring demeanor. Following Jesus is a passionate pursuit. I was a junior in high school when I first laid eyes on the most beautiful creature that I'd ever seen in my life. Yes, yes, Greg, it was Carrie. <laughs> I walked down the hallway. I saw her for the first time. I knew she was just, just a little bit out of my league. But here's the thing. I was starting on the varsity basketball team I had a 1979 Trans Am, and I was pretty popular, so I felt like those elements would give me the advantage and let me level up in who I selected as my girlfriend. So I, I walked up to her, and I was really nervous. I was really nervous, shaking almost, and I, but I didn't want to let her know. I wanted to, to seem cool. So I walked up to her and I said, hey. I don't know why, but I always feel like if I move my eyebrows and neck really weird, it's a cool thing. Hey, hey. You know, with curves like that, you need guardrails. She did not think that was a compliment. She thought I was calling her hefty. That's not actually how it happened. But I did think she was out of my league and somehow I managed to impress her. But the moment I laid eyes on her, I knew that I needed to do everything I could to win her heart, everything I could to make her mine. And then after she was mine, do everything I could not to mess it up. And in pursuit of Carrie, I was happy to do things that under normal circumstances, I probably wouldn't have wanted to do. For example, not long after Carrie and I started dating, she and her family bought a house that sat at the very top of a mountain in Kaywood, Kentucky. It wasn't a hill, okay? It was a mountain. During this time, I was driving a black two-wheel drive S10. And my two-wheel drive truck would not make it up the gravel road that led to Carrie's house. 
It didn't matter how many cinder blocks I put in the truck bed. It didn't matter how much I floored it. One day I spent my rear tires plumb off trying to get up that gravel hill. My truck would not make it up. Keep in mind that I didn't have a cell phone to call someone to come down and pick me up. Thanks, Dad. He didn't feel like it was needed. He wasn't worried about anybody kidnapping me. Don't know what I'd have did if somebody just snatched and grabbed me and threw me in their van. I wouldn't have had a phone to call anybody. I'd have had to send out a, a carrier pigeon or something. So I didn't have a cell phone to call somebody to come down and pick me up. And this meant that anytime I wanted to see that beautiful angel that I had impressed and started a relationship with, I had to park at the bottom and walk up that mountain. Now, if circumstances had been different, I'd have dreaded climbing that mountain. It was exhausting, it was frustrating, it was miserably hot, and on most occasions when I made it to the top, I was pouring the sweat and I was out of breath. If circumstances had been different, I would have done anything to get out of climbing up that mountain. But honestly, I never minded it. I never minded the sacrifice, the heat, or the discomfort. Actually, anytime I walked up that mountain, I had a smile on my face. I was skipping, whistling, and I was in a good mood because I knew that what I was doing was bringing me closer to the one that I loved. I'm going to be rewarded for that later. The question is, are we pursuing Jesus in that same way? Are we pursuing Jesus to the extent that when we fast, when we study, when we pray, when we worship, even though our body might be weary and tired, we do those things with a good attitude, not because we have to, but because we want to and because we know those things are bringing us closer to the one that we love? Do you have the kind of relationship with Jesus that you'll make whatever investment is necessary because you realize that there is no investment you could make that it would not be worth it? Jesus told a parable entitled The Pearl of Great Price. In this parable, there was a servant plowing a field and in the process of plowing this field, he inadvertently discovered a pearl in the dirt. The moment he laid eyes on this pearl, he knew that it was extremely valuable. So he looks around to see if anybody else notices what he has stumbled across. Nobody is looking in his direction, so he hurries and covers the pearl back up. That evening, he goes home and he starts looking around at what he could sell to raise the money to buy the field so that the pearl will be legally his. Once he does the numbers, once he runs the calculations, he realizes that the only way he's gonna raise the money to buy that field and make that pearl legally his is if he's willing to sell everything. He can't keep anything. He can't hold anything back. He thinks for a minute and then he decides that it's worth it. 
He sells everything he has, raises the money, buys the field so that the pearl will be legally his. What I want you to notice is that even though the servant had to give up everything, he willingly did it because he understood that there was nothing he could give that it would not be worth it. Even though it cost him everything, it was still the best investment that he had ever made. Now, how many of us feel that way about our relationship with the Lord? That I'll give whatever I need to give because I know that there's nothing I could give that it wouldn't be worth it. I'll make whatever investment that I need to make because I know that no matter how great the investment, it'll still be the best investment that I've ever made. When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, in the original language, the phrase come after describes a passionate pursuit of someone you love. It's a passionate pursuit in which you are happy to do things that under different circumstances you may not have even wanted to do. It's a passionate pursuit in which you will give whatever you need to give because you realize that there's nothing you could give that it wouldn't be worth it. It's a passionate pursuit in which you realize that even if it costs you everything, it'll still be the greatest investment that you have ever made. Is that how you feel about following Jesus? That's how Jesus expected you to feel. Following Jesus is a passionate pursuit. Number three, following Jesus is a total surrender. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Denying ourselves isn't something that we would normally want to do. But remember, we're in a passionate pursuit. So now we're happy to do things that we may not have wanted to do before. In the Gospels, we are told about a young man who came to Jesus to ask him a question. This young man had authority and money. He was successful. We don't know his name, but he's long since been remembered as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the premise of his question is wrong because he assumes that there is something he can do that will allow him to inherit eternal life. This is justification by works. It's justification by the law. The only thing we can do is depend on what Jesus did. So he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is so cool. Because <laughs> after a brief exchange, Jesus says, Phew. I guess, you know, just, just sell all that you have and give the money to the poor and come follow me. When the young man hears this, he walks away devastated. When the young man hears this, he decides to walk away from the opportunity to follow Jesus. He would rather have his stuff than his Savior. See, I think the reason Jesus told him to do that is because Jesus knew that he was not this man's pearl of great price. You see, the rich young ruler wanted to say yes to Jesus, but not if it meant saying no to himself. 
I'm not saying that Jesus is going to tell you to sell all you have and give your money to the poor, but if you truly understood that Jesus is the pearl of great price, if you truly understood the value of your relationship with the Lord, then you would realize that even if following Jesus cost you everything, it would still be the greatest investment that you will ever make in your life. The rich young ruler wanted to follow Jesus, but not, not if it meant selling his stuff, not if it meant denying himself. See, theologians believed that Jesus wanted this man to be one of the 12, one of the main men, but he could not ascend to that height unless he had his focus completely and totally on Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he didn't want to follow him enough. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he didn't want to deny himself. See, fans, fans of Jesus will try to follow him without denying themselves. They'll try to follow Jesus without denying themselves, and they do this by compartmentalizing areas of their life that they don't want Jesus to have access to. They'll say things like, I'll follow Jesus, but leave my money out of it. I'll follow Jesus, but leave this relationship out of it. I'll follow Jesus, but leave what I do on the weekends out of it. I'll follow Jesus, but leave this comfort, this pleasure, this indulgence, this sin, leave that out of it. I'll follow Jesus, but there's something in my life that is not a part of the deal. There's something in my life that is off limits to him. There's something in my life that I'm holding back, but Jesus leaves absolutely no room for negotiation when he says, if any man will come after me, he must, he must deny himself. What does it mean to deny ourselves? We get an idea of the kind of self-denial that Jesus was referring to when we understand that almost every influential leader of the early church at one point or another introduced themselves as slaves. Not apostles, slaves. Not leaders, slaves. Not presidents, Slaves, not CEOs, slaves. Listen, Peter and Paul and John and Timothy and Jude and James and the mother of Jesus all at one point or another introduced themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. Think about it. A slave doesn't make their own choices and decisions. A slave doesn't decide what their schedule is going to look like. A slave doesn't decide what they're going to keep and what they're going to give away. A slave doesn't decide where they're going to go and what they're going to do. But we have such a problem with that imagery. No little boy or little girl ever grows up wanting to be a slave. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a slave. Nobody's ever said that, ever. Jesus came to set us free. So why are the leaders of the church referring to themselves as slaves? See, the reason we have a problem with denying ourselves to the extent that we would call ourselves slaves of Jesus Christ is because one of our greatest desires in this life is to find happiness. If you don't want to be happy, raise your hand. Okay, Ted. 
One of our greatest desires in this life is to find happiness. And we feel like self-denial stands in complete contradiction to personal happiness. How can I be happy when I'm denying myself? How can I be happy when I'm giving things away? How can I be happy when I'm putting my own desires on the back burner? How can I be happy when I'm putting other people ahead of myself? We feel like self-denial stands in complete contradiction to personal happiness. Yet, what you got to understand is that it's only when you become a slave to Jesus that you can be free. See, it's only, it's only when we deny ourselves that we can experience true, genuine happiness. Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell all that he had and give the money to the poor. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was showing him the road to happiness. This man had all this stuff, all this authority, all this success, and guess what? He wasn't happy. And Jesus was trying to show him the road to happiness, the road to contentment, the road to fulfillment, the road to peace. Jesus said, I'm going to show you the path you need to take to get where you want to go, but it's not going to be the path that you thought you would take. Sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. Look at what Matthew 19, 22 NLT says. But when the young man heard this, he went away very sad for he had many possessions. The young man decided to keep all of his stuff. He decided that he wasn't going to give it up. He decided that he wasn't going to do what Jesus was asking him to do. And yet what I want to point out is he still walked away sad. He didn't give up anything. He didn't sacrifice anything. He didn't deny himself at all, which you think would make him happy. You think that he would walk away skipping and whistling because he got what he wanted. He decided to keep all of his stuff. But what I want you to see is that in the end, he was still sad and miserable and unhappy. It's only when we are willing to deny ourselves for the sake of Jesus that we can experience true happiness. You won't find true happiness in what you keep. You'll find happiness in what you give away. You won't find happiness in what you refuse to do for others. You'll find happiness in what you're willing to do for others. You won't find happiness in putting yourself first all the time. You'll find happiness in putting others ahead of yourself. It's only when we deny ourselves that we can experience true happiness. So no wonder Jesus said what he said in Luke 9, 24. This is directly after the verse that we are studying today. Jesus says, let any man that wants to come after me deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then he says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. He's saying, I'm trying to give you what you want. You just don't realize the road you have to take to get there. 
I know you want happiness. I know you want peace. I know you want fulfillment. I know you want contentment. I just want you to know the road that you have to walk to get there. It is not riches and wealth. It's not success, authority, and power. It is self-denial and sacrifice. It's deciding to lose your life for my sake because if you lose your life serving me, then you won't realize what true life really means. So number one, following Jesus was an open invitation. Number two, it's a passionate pursuit. Number three, it's a total surrender. Number four, it's an everyday death. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I know, we've sanctified, I know we've sanitized it and, and we use it as a trinket and an ornament, but the cross is a symbol of suffering and death. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's inviting you to follow him by dying daily. Let me ask you something. When's the last time that you carried your cross? Because if you're carrying your cross, it's going to cost you something. Let me ask you this. When's the last time that following Jesus cost you something? When's the last time it cost you a meal? When's the last time following Jesus cost you a vacation? You didn't get to go to the beach because you decided to use the money that you were saving for the beach to help someone fix their roof. When's the last time following Jesus cost you a position, a job, an opportunity? When's the last time following Jesus cost you a relationship? When's the last time following Jesus required you to die to yourself? According to Jesus, you shouldn't have to think too long because this is something that should be happening on a daily basis. Following Jesus is an everyday death. Paul understood this because 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said, I die daily. You know how Paul was ready to give his life for Jesus? You know how Paul was ready to die for, for Jesus as a martyr? You know how Paul was ready to be decapitated for the gospel? It's because he practiced every day. He died daily. That's how he was ready to pay the ultimate cost because he practiced for years. I die daily. Come on up to the music. So I want you to know, especially if you're here today and you're lost, I want you to know that following Jesus is an open invitation. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you were entangled in. I don't care how bad you messed up. I don't care what your record is, how long it is. Following Jesus is an open invitation and nobody is allowed to stand in your way as you come to Jesus. No one is permitted to look down their nose at you as you come to Jesus. No one is allowed to say that you're not able to come because of this and you're not able to come because of what happened back here. Following Jesus is an open invitation. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more great messages,